0: Thank you, praise team. Give them a big hand, would you? Appreciate them and their hard work and their ministry. Good to see you today. What a great day it is to be in the Lord's house. I'm uh, preaching a series On the Holy Spirit who is our helper. In fact, Jesus gave that promise that when he went back to heaven, he would pray the Father to give us a a helper. And that helper is none other than the Holy Spirit himself. And today we're going to talk about being filled with the Spirit of God. But really what I want to talk to you about is uh, what's in this little picture right here that's about to pop up. on There it is right there. Wow. Look at that little picture. At first, when I first saw that picture, teenagers, when I first saw that picture, I thought that Jedediah had got a hold of his mama's uh, uh, nail polish and painted Nathan's toes. <laughs> so I thought, you that, that's got to be Nathan. And then I re- looked at it and said, no, those aren't his flip-flops. So it wasn't Nathan, and it's not the foot that I want to talk about. What I want to talk about is what has got a hold of that toe right there. What is that? It's a crab. So let's talk about crabs just for a moment this morning. You know what crabs are. Crabs are those nasty little creatures that scurry around and they are desperately looking for someone to pinch. They're irritable. They're short-tempered. They're unpleasant. Now, you may enjoy eating crabs at the local seafood restaurant, but let me tell you, you wouldn't want one to crawl in the bed with you, all right? Crabs are not good. They have a single interest in their life. They're just hobbling around looking for someone to snap at, all right? They have, in fact, become a symbol of unpleasantness. We've taken the word crab and we've applied it to several other unlikable things. For example, those bitter little apples that we don't like to eat, we call them crab crab apples. apples. And that disgusting grass that grows in our gardens and our lawns, we call crabgrass. We even describe people as crabby when they are unpleasant to be around. And I would say if everyone in this room were honest today, you would have to say that sometimes your spouse can be a crab, right? (laughs) Is that what you would say, right? No, we are all unpleasant and we are all crabs at some point in our life. A fisherman thought of that when he noticed that he did not need a lid on his pail which contained his crabs. The pail wasn't very deep and they should have been able to climb out, but they didn't. You know why? Well, as soon as one of the crabs would begin to climb the side of the pail, another one would reach up and grab it and pull it back down. By nature, all of us are crabs. We're jealous, we're impatient, we're easily irritated, and we are born with these little pinchers that we use on other people. We tend to snap at others, and we pull other people down. And really, it's been that way since the beginning. As soon as Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they started blaming each other for their problems and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree because their two boys Cain and Abel bickered all the time and since then we have been bickering and battling and blaming and brawling that's just the way the world is right that's the way people of the world are but you know what that's not the way it should be amongst Christians no, it is the intention of God to transform us from being crab-like to being Christ-like. Now, let me tell you something. First service was into this. I mean, they were, they were amening. They were into it. I don't know. Maybe there are more crabs in the second service. I don't know than the first service. The process by which all of this is done is sanctification. And the agent that God uses to bring this change about in our life is none other than the helper that is the Holy Spirit. You see, church, when you are saved, there are four ministries that the Holy Spirit does in the life of a believer. Number one, he is born of the Spirit. Number two, he is indwelt by the Spirit. Number three, baptized by the Spirit. And number four, He is sealed with the Spirit. Those four things happen the moment that you are saved. But there is an ongoing ministry of the Spirit through which this sanctification is accomplished in our life. The Spirit does something within us day by day which gradually transforms our crab-likeness into Christ-likeness. And this process is known as the fullness of the Spirit or the practice of being filled with the Spirit of God. And that passage that talks about that is found in Ephesians chapter 5. So that's where we're going to be today. Ephesians 5, let me read 18 through 21. Here's what Paul says. Do not get drunk with wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he caps it off in verse 21 by saying, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So let's pray, and then let's talk about being filled with the Spirit of God. Heavenly Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would have his way in this room. And I pray right now, dear Lord, that you would fill my life with the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would fill every Christian's life with the Holy Spirit. And as I try to speak on the outside, I pray that you helper, would speak to our hearts. For we ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Here in Ephesians chapter 5, I notice four things about this command that is given by Paul from the Holy Spirit. There is, first of all, a command, then a contrast, then he gives a comparison, and then he talks about a change. First, let's talk about the command. It's right there in verse number 18. The simple command to a believer is this. Don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about that. Don't get drunk with wine. The word drunk comes from a Greek word, metha, from which I believe we probably get our English word methane from. It referred to an alcoholic cider Or mold wine. And Paul tells us that drinking this wine leads to, what's the word? Debauchery. Now, we don't use that word very much in, in modern day conversation. But you know what? It just sounds bad, doesn't it? It does. Debauchery. It is a bad thing. In fact, the Greek word for debauchery is found several times in the New Testament. For example, over in Luke chapter 15, verse 13, we have the story of the prodigal son. Remember him? He was the kid who boldly went before his father one day and said, Daddy, give me my inheritance. I'm going to go to the big city. I'm tired of farm life. I want to go to the big city and have a good time. And so his dad gave him his inheritance early. He went to the far country, verse 13 says, and wasted all of his daddy's money on riotous living or the word debauchery. He wasted everything in a life of debauchery. It's the ideal of moral looseness. Did you know that people do crazy things When they're intoxicated? (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? When people get drunk, they don't act themselves. They do crazy things. It's a life of debauchery. And none of the things that they do are good things. Right Now, I I believe this would probably be a good time for me just to stop right here and tell you that that as your pastor and as the the leader of Kavanaugh Church, I believe and our church believes uh, in, in abstaining from both the use and sell of any intoxicating beverages. All right? I'm a teetotaler. I don't, I don't believe that believers, that Christians, ought to be drinking any, any kind of intoxicating beverage. Now, what do I base that on? Well, several aspects of the Scripture that teach us that, but personal experience as well. I've been pastoring well over 30 years, and I can tell you, I have never, ever, in all of my life or ministry, seen anything good come from people who get drunk. They do crazy things. It's bad stuff. Not one time have I seen a person who drinks do good things. It's always crazy things that they do. And Paul is saying, don't get drunk. Just don't drink. Instead, instead of drinking, what does he say? This is crazy, but what does he say? Be filled with the Spirit of God. Are you with me? Don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. So let me talk about the word filled. There are four important things you need to know about this word filled. First of all, it's in the imperative mood. In other words, it is a command that is given to all Christians. Everyone in this room who is a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ should right now, at this very moment, be filled with the Spirit of God. It is incumbent upon us. It is an imperative. It is a command that is given to us. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Also, number two, it is a present tense verb. And in the Greek language, this implies a continuous action. We are to be filled with the Spirit continuously, repeatedly, again and again, over and over. It's not a one and done deal. Every day, all day long, you are to be replenished with the filling of the Holy Spirit. Number three, it is a plural verb. Paul here isn't just speaking to one person. He isn't just talking to you or to you or to you or to me. No, he's talking to all of us. Every person in this church, every believer is to be filled with the Spirit of God. And then number four, this verse is in the passive voice. So that means you can't fill yourself. It doesn't mean fill yourself. What it does mean is let yourself be filled with the Spirit of God. You see, we can't fill our life with the Holy Spirit. But as we come to the Lord in full submission, He fills us with His Spirit. And so it is translated here, be filled or let yourself be filled. And that is the command. At least smile back at me, okay? But just for a second, just put a smile on. You get the command. Don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit of God. Point number two is the contrast. Notice the conjunction that is used here. Don't get drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Don't do the one thing. Do the other thing. Okay? Don't get drunk. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. That's point number two. You ready for point three? Think, man, he's cruising. We're about to get bogged down here in a second, but number three is the comparison. There is a parallel in this verse between getting drunk and being filled with the Spirit. Now, that's a very strange thing to say, but notice Paul didn't say, don't commit immorality. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He didn't say that. Paul didn't say, don't commit murder. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. He didn't say that. What did Paul say? Paul said, don't get drunk with wine. (laughs) Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Why did he say that? Well, because there are some ways in which being filled with the Spirit of God is like being drunk. Well, do I have your attention? Are you with me? You see, when a person is pulled over by a police officer for drunk driving, it's bad, isn't it? Nothing good about that. They'll take your license away and you'll be charged with DUI, which means driving under the influence of alcohol. And let me say very quickly, when a person is filled with the Spirit of God, they are under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. When a person is drunk, he is being controlled by a force that is outside of him. When a person is filled with the Holy Spirit of God, they are being controlled and influenced by God himself through the Holy Spirit. So that is the comparison. Then number four, let me talk to you about the change. There is a change that comes over a Spirit-filled person. In fact, there are supernatural Christ-like characteristics that develop... And Spirit-filled Christians. And Paul gives us three of those in the remaining verses that we read here in Ephesians. First of all, people who are filled with the Spirit can't help but sing. Isn't that strange? But it's true. People who are genuinely filled with the Holy Spirit of God can't help singing They love the songs of Zion. They love the music of the church. In other words, in their heart, there rings a melody. I didn't make that up. It comes right here in verses 18 to 19. Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart, to the Lord. In the original, Paul uses several participles. This, this is all one long run-on sentence here, okay? And here are the participles he uses: speaking to yourselves, singing, making music. So the question is: how do we know that we're spirit-filled? What is the evidence that we have the Spirit of God inside of you? Well, the question I ask you is: do you sing? Are you singing? Is there a song on your lips? Is there melody in your heart? And notice that Paul uses a variety of songs here that we are to sing. We are to sing three different types of songs if the Spirit is in our life. We are to sing, first of all, psalms. That is, we are to take the Bible, for example, the book of Psalms. And we are to take the words of the Psalms, and we are to sing them back to the Lord. In fact, that's what they did in the Old Testament. The book of Psalms was known as the hymn book of the Hebrews. And we do that today when we sing songs like, Better is One Day, which is taken from Psalms 84, or Blessed Be the Name of the Lord. Or we take any other passage that is in the Bible, and we just sing it in praise back to God. So do you sing psalms? Okay. If not, man, you ought to. Then there are hymns. He said psalms and hymns. I, I really don't know exactly what Paul had in mind. What, was he talking about the Free Will Baptist hymn book? <laughs> you know, I don't know. Something like that, though. In fact, A.W. Tozer, the great preacher, said a Christian is a person of two books. They have their Bible and they have their hymn book. Okay? The, the meaning is this, if, if you are led by the Spirit of God, you know what? You love singing the songs of the church. And can I tell you, honestly, there are some great old hymns that are in hymn books. And, and I'm not, when, when I say old hymns, you're, you're thinking of songs written back in 1930 or 40. No, I'm talking about songs written in the 1500s. And 1600s and 17. There is some great theology to those great old hymns. I love singing songs like "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God." Uh, th- that's an awesome song. Or what about this? "Great Is Thy Faithfulness." Or I love this one: "Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee." Those are old hymns, written in the 1600s and 17 hundreds. But you know what? There are some. I can't call them modern-day hymns because they were written in the 40s and 50s, and my, my kids think those are ancient, you know? My kids think that, that songs written 10 years ago are old, you know? But Heavenly Highway songs. Anybody know what a Heavenly Highway hymn book is? Man, I love the songs out of Heavenly... The Glory Land Way. And my favorite, Heavenly Highway number 310, My God is Real. Oh, man, I did. Y'all want me to sing a verse of that to you? I'm not going to, but i tell you, my God is real. And I'll catch myself driving down the road singing songs like that. Why? Because it's evident that the Holy Spirit's in my life. I'm singing psalms and hymns. And then there's another category of songs, spiritual songs. I really think that sums up some of the modern-day songs that we sing here at the Second Service here at Kavanaugh Church. And and here's one of the cool things about Kavanaugh. It's what I love about Kavanaugh. Is that, you know what, we we incorporate all of these songs in our different worship services. The 9 o'clock music in the 9 o'clock service is totally different than the music that you hear at 10.30. And on Wednesday nights, when our people come in here and worship together, we sing some old hymns in that service. And you know what? You know which one is my favorite? The one I'm in. Because I love all of them. And did you know that it is evidence that a person is spirit-filled when they love to sing the songs of God? Now, I can tell you this. If you want people in church to be crabby, you just change the music yeah. that is in their service. Amen? I mean, there have been more wars started in church over music than anything else. And for the life of me, I can't understand it. I can't figure it out because I love all of it. I love all of it. Uh, here at Kavanaugh, we've we've kind of gone through this whole worship thing, trying to find our DNA and what what service? Uh, what meets what needs in our church? And and I tell you, in the early years, man, it was tough, and 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 we were singing stuff that people were getting irritated at, and man, it was it was really it was rough, right? Not on you, but it was rough on me. And I can remember there was an elderly lady in our church, godly woman, and somebody asked her one day, "Well, what do you think about those songs we're singing?" They were trying to get her ruffled up. I love what she said. So he said, well, you know what? They're okay with me because you know what? They're not singing those songs to me. We're not singing those songs to me. So it really doesn't matter what my preference is. We're singing those songs to the Lord. And if he's pleased with them, I'm pleased with them. And you know what? No matter what the tempo is, no matter what instruments are used, and I can tell you in the Bible, they used all kinds of instruments in worship to God. If it is a song that gives praise and worship and honor to God, we ought to be singing it because it's evidence that we're led by the Spirit of God and filled with His Spirit. The second characteristic of being filled with the Spirit is this attitude of thanksgiving. Here again, Paul is writing this long run-on sentence with participles. And so he says, singing, making music in your hearts to the Lord. Verse 20, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what? This goes a little bit deeper. This penetrates deep into our hearts. It's often easy for us to have a song on our lips, but to have thanksgiving in our heart... Dude, let me tell you, that's a greater challenge. But this, too, is the work and the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And I've discovered in my life that, you know what? I can be having a very bad day or a bad week (laughs) or maybe a bad month. But even with those bad things that are happening, if I will allow the Holy Spirit, he can show me things to be thankful for. Those things are always around. They're abundant. And a spirit-filled person is going to see the blessings instead of the cursings. They're going to praise God and be thankful instead of being crabby and complain. That's right. True story, okay? True story. didn't happen in my house, but it, ha- it happened in somebody's house that I know, right? Dad came home from work one day. He had, man, he'd been having trouble at work and came home, didn't say anything to the wife or the three kids, kicked the dog when he came in. Sat in his chair, turned on the news. Man, he was griping, complaining over there of what's happening on the news. And Finally, his wife, who had had a bad day herself, called the family into the dinner table for for supper. And so they all came in there and sat down, husband, wife, three kids. And he looked at the table, looked at what she had fixed, and he he shouldn't have done it, but he said, you got to be kidding me. Meatloaf again? It's the wrong thing to say. She, she took the wooden spoon out of the mashed potatoes and clanked it one time to drop all the potatoes off. She stuck that spoon right in his face and said, Listen here, bucko. I am, I'm just saying this as Jason. Joy, you'd never say this. <laughs> I am sick and tired of your gripping and complaining. All you do is complain. You complain in the morning about having to get up. You complain about work. When you come in, there's nothing good to say. You complain about me. You complain about the kids. You complain about the food. I am sick and tired of your gripping and complaining. Kids' eyes were about that big, all three of them. Yeah. It lit him up, Brent. He said, I am sick and tired of you complaining. About my complaining. (laughs) And then guess what happened? World War III started right there at that dinner table. And I mean, they were bringing out dirty laundry and those kids were sitting there listening to every word that they said. And finally he threw up his hands and he said, let's just eat it and get this over with. Now, some of you are kind of laughing. The rest of you are thinking, oh, my goodness, does he have a video camera in my (laughs) No. Ten-year-old daughter raised her hand and said, but aren't we going to read our verse and pray? It was their custom. They had a bowl on the table with Bible verses in the bowl, and before they ate, they would read a verse and then pray. He said, just do it. You do it. And so the little 10-year-old girl reached over there and pulled out a verse. Guess what she pulled out? Ephesians 5, 20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then she said the sweetest little prayer, giving thanks to God. Well, when she finished, both mom and dad had tears in their eyes. And they realized what jerks they had been. Guys, let me tell you, you might be having a bad day, bad week, bad month. You might be working on a bad life. You know what? That's what this world is. This world is bad. And God doesn't give us a free pass through the world. We are not exempt from problems that occur in this world. But evidence that you have been filled by the Spirit of God is that you can see through the troubles and trials and problems you're having and be thankful... For all the blessings that God has given you. And that leads me to point number three. Third, people who are filled with the Spirit of God have this humble spirit about them. Look at verse 21. He said, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here too, in in Paul's original letter, this is part of this long run-on sentence. And he says it with this participle. Submitting to one another... Out of reverence for Christ. In other words, people who are spirit-filled are humble. They're not prideful. They're not arrogant. They're humble. They care more about others than they literally care about themselves. I love reading history, especially Western history, all right? And back in the frontier days of the United States, there was this Methodist circuit-riding preacher whose name was Peter Cartwright, all right? He ministered in Tennessee and Kentucky. He would ride his horse around to different villages and towns and hold revivals and preach. He was in this one particular location for an extended period of time preaching in the Methodist church who was without a pastor. And within this little community were these two young men. They happened to be distant relatives. They both came from good families. They were both good-looking young men. But they had become rivals because they both longed for the affection of the same young woman. And so one day they got into it about this girl, got into a fist fight. People had to pull them apart, And as they were pulled apart, both swore to the other, the next time I see you, I'm going to kill you. Well, one of them heard that the other was going to Peter Cartwright's church on that Sunday morning. And so he showed up with a pistol in his belt. The other had heard, that one had heard he was going, so he showed up with his pistol as well. One set at the back on this side of the church. The other sat at the back on that side of the church. Everyone in the community knew that they were going to kill each other. Everyone saw them there, including Peter Cartwright. And so he preached a hellfire and brimstone message. Flee the wrath of God. Come to Jesus for repentance. And I preached, He preached the house down on them, man. You know what? When he gave the invitation... That young man back there fell under conviction, and he came to the altar. The other young man fell under conviction. He came to this altar. Peter saw both of them. And so he went over to this young man, first of all, talked to him. He repented of his sins, received Jesus as his Savior, and was saved right there. Peter said to him, give me your pistol. (laughs) And so he gave him his gun. Cartwright came over here to this young man. Talk to him about receiving Christ. This young man confessed Christ as his Savior, repented of his sins, and he was saved. Brother Cartwright said, give me your gun. (laughs) So he had both guns now. About that time, both of these young men stood up, and as they were turning to go back to their pews, they saw each other. And they ran towards one another. Everyone in the congregation gasped. What are they going to (laughs) do? Well, they didn't duke it out. They hugged one another. They embraced one another. They wept on each other's shoulders asking for forgiveness. Why? Because now they were brothers in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were born again. Old things had become new. They were new creatures in Jesus. They were filled with the Spirit of God. And you know what? That changes you on the inside. You know, I really believe most of the problems we have with other people... Listen to me. Most of the problems we have with other people could be resolved if we would just get our own hearts right with God. I'm going to wait till somebody says amen. Amen. Because that's really where it's at, guys. We're too proud. We're too stubborn by nature. But when we are filled with the Spirit of God, this new attitude grows within us. And what happens? We become humble. We become submissive. And you know where this shows up? Well, it shows up in our marriages. How do I know that? Well, I've read the rest of Ephesians chapter 5. And in the rest of this chapter, Paul says in summary that if you have a marriage in which both the husband and the wife are filled with the Holy Spirit, there will be humility and there will be submission in that home. And the wife is going to give to the husband what he needs bad, which is respect. And the husband is going to give to the wife what she needs desperately, And that is affection. And the same idea continues in chapter 6 with parents and children and children and parents and employers and employees. Let me just sum it up all to you, church, by saying this teaching of the Spirit-filled life is one of the most beautiful and wonderful and life-transforming messages that is found in the Word of God. And I desperately want it for my life. I mean, my whole intent on preaching this series of the Helper is because I desperately need His help in my life. And more than anything else, at age 57, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. So it comes down to this. How does that happen? How do we we get filled with the Spirit of God day by day? Well... I started out talking to you about what? Crabs. <laughs> so let me end my sermon on this crab note. Let's use the word crab as an acrostic. What does the C stand for? Well, if you want to be filled with God's Holy Spirit, you need to do this daily. First is C. You need to confess. You need to confess. To be filled with the Spirit, you must come before Jesus And confess to him that you haven't been living by the Spirit. That you haven't been filled with the Spirit. That you've been trying to do life on your own. You need to confess that to the Lord. You need to confess your sins to the Lord. Because sin blocks the Spirit's fullness in your life. Do you hear that? There is no way you can be filled with the Spirit of God if there is unconfessed sin in your life. So C, confession. R, rededication. You have to give every area of your life over to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Hold nothing back. Come to Jesus in full surrender. For the Holy Spirit can only fill what you have yielded to Christ. Christ. And so if you have yielded your heart, soul, mind, and strength to the Lord, that's what the Holy Spirit can feel. So every morning, I confess. Every morning, I rededicate my life. And then A stands for ask. You simply ask. Because Ephesians 5.18 commands us to be filled with the Spirit, you need to ask God to accomplish that inside of you. Again, you can't do it yourself. So you ask God to fill you. Remember a couple of weeks ago, I read to you Luke chapter 11, verse 12. Jesus Jesus said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit if you ask Him? Words of Jesus. So you know what you need to do? You need to ask God. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And then B means believe. When you confess your sins, when you rededicate your life to Christ, when you ask God to fill you with, your, with the Spirit, then by faith, you've got to believe that He's going to do it. Okay, It comes down to that. You believe He's doing it. This morning I'm driving to church, as I always do. Between my house and this church, I pray a specific prayer For this service and the nine o'clock service and our Bible study that's happening through the day. And as I'm praying, I'm asking God, Lord, fill me with your spirit. When I stand and preach to both congregations today, I pray that I would be filled with the spirit of God. Anoint me with your spirit from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Fill me with your spirit. And I've confessed my sins. I've rededicated my life to the Lord, and I'm asking Him as I'm driving here today, fill me with Your Spirit. Now, can I tell you something? I didn't have a tingle go up and down my spine. Okay, I didn't speak in an ecstatic utterance. I didn't. I didn't weave all across the road as I'm praising. My hands are in the. Literally, nothing like that happened to me. But you know what? I know he filled me with his spirit. I know it happened. Why? Because I've done everything right. I've confessed. I've rededicated. I've asked. And by faith, I believe. I believe right now that God's spirit has filled my life. I don't always feel it, but I know I'm full of it. Because I believe. Maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you understand, okay, for the first time, this is a process. It's not a one and done deal. Every day I need to be doing this. Every day I need to be confessing my sins. Every day I need to rededicate and yield my all to the Lord. Every day I need to ask God to fill me with His Holy Spirit. Every day I need to go through the day believing I am a Spirit-filled, Spirit-led believer. And then live it. I encourage you to do that in the morning. Mm, Better than that, I encourage you to come do it right now. Before you leave this building today, be filled with the Spirit of God. could be that you're here this morning and you've never never been saved. so, So you really are not getting what I'm talking about. Before this process can begin, before you can have the helper in your life, you must be saved. You must be born again. You need to repent of your sins and ask Jesus to come into your life. And when you do that, God puts his helper inside of you. Guys, let me tell you, life's tough. Come on, you've you kind of been far away from me all day. Tell me, life's tough, isn't it? And I can't do it on my own, neither can you. We all need a helper. And God has offered that helper to us. So come and receive that help today. And if you are a believer and you're here today, would you come and join me at the altar? And let's just do what Paul said in another place. Let's lay our life on the altar. Let's give him everything and ask him to fill our lives with his spirit. Heavenly Father.